Hello, <laughs> and welcome to the first episode of The Savvy Reader. I'm Savvy. I'm an aspiring novelist, a full-time student, and a part-time weirdo. The aim of this podcast is to help other aspiring writers through the use of literary analysis because a good writer is a good reader. Chapter one, the writer. You love him or you hate him, there is no in-between. I found my first Chuck Palahniuk book at the age of 15, which was way too young. My parents had taken me to the mall, and one of the only things I wanted, besides a new pair of jeans, was a book. What book? Uh, as I walked through Barnes & Noble, I did exactly what you shouldn't do. I judged books by their covers. As I walked the rows, I ran my finger over each book. I read titles and then looked at their covers, thinking, boring, next, boring, next. And then I read the word choke. It was the early 2000s and emo bands were all the rage, and the title suggested something from some vague song on the radio at the time. I pulled the book off the shelf, and on the cover was an anatomical drawing of the muscular system. Okay, I'm intrigued and I flipped the book to the back cover. It read, if you're going to read this, don't bother. It was a challenge and the beginning of my deep love affair with Chuck Palahniuk because you either love him or you hate him. There is no in between. I spent the next several years of my life absorbing every single book he had ever written. By the time I ran out, it was the late 2000s. I had reached this point of crisis. I used to think, what if he dies tomorrow and there is nothing left to read? So it's become a lifelong habit of mine to leave books unread and songs unheard, lest the worst case scenario occurs. I'd rather miss out than lose out, and at least this way I'd always have something new to look forward to. This first episode of The Savvy Reader is dedicated to Chuck Palahniuk, which, if you know me, is not surprising in the least bit. More specifically, his use of the motif. Chapter 2. The Motif. The Oxford English Dictionary defines a motif as a distinct, significant, or salient theme or idea, a recurrent or prevalent characteristic. If Chuck has mastered one thing, you found it. Nearly every book he has ever written contains a myriad of reoccurring themes and repeating phrases. He knows the motif like, like he knows the back of his eyelids, and he uses them well. Personally, I find them brilliant, but more so, I find them addictively entertaining. We're going to skip over themes, motifs this time around. Yes, it's important, but I don't want to pluck the low-hanging fruit. Sure, we could talk about the struggle between religion and reality and choke. We could discuss the theme of self-destruction and invisible monsters or the importance of identity in Fight Club. We aren't going to. Instead, I'm going to take you on a journey into the micro-motif. Now, I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but for the purposes of this podcast, just humor me. The micro-motif, as I describe it, is something small, something repetitive, that does not immediately lend itself to the bigger theme. If the overarching themes are the meat and potatoes of a story, a micro-motif's the seasoning. Now look, I don't think that good writing needs a motif. That's not what I'm saying here. Plenty of stories don't use this literary device and are still fantastic reads. Literary devices are like a spice cabinet full of different flavors. 
It just so happens that the micro motif is one of my favorites. The micro motif is like Imre Lagasse when he used to throw spices at spaghetti and scream BAM! BAM! Looking for a way to create complex flavors in your writing? Consider the micro motif. Chapter 3. Choke. This story is about Victor. He's a sex addict and his dysfunctional relationship with his mother. Well, really his dysfunctional relationship with everyone. Throughout the book, Palinik makes use of the phrase, see also, followed by a colon. We both stare back until she smirks and pushes her card off around the next corner. Her name's Irene. Irene Parks. And yeah, okay, we did it in her car in the parking lot about this time last year. See also Karen, Aaron. See also Janine, CNA. Or for instance, the cramping could mean colorectal cancer. It could mean acute appendicitis, hyperparathyroidism, adrenal insufficiency. See also intestinal obstruction. See also colorectal foreign bodies. The use of this micro motif often clues the reader into Victor's truths and opinions. He sleeps around a lot. He got a set of anal beads stuck in his butt. Colorectal foreign body, indeed. What makes this micro motif so useful is the way it packs a ton of information into just a few words. It's far more interesting to say see also Karen than it is to spend three more sentences talking about how the same thing happened last year in a different woman's car. I mean, I'm tired just saying the last sentence. Palinik is a minimalist writer, which creates the framework for his unreliable narration. The use of C also is about as minimalist as you can get, but it certainly packs a delightful punch, usually with a bit of sass, that helps create the quick, enjoyable pace typical for a Chuck Palahniuk plotline. You run the risk with minimalistic writing that details get overlooked or left out. This is one way to make a reader pay attention without sacrificing word count. Chapter 4 Fight Club. You've probably heard the phrase, the first rule of Fight Club, is you don't talk about Fight Club. It's repeated throughout the novel again and again and again. And you've also probably heard someone say, I am Jack's whatever. Jack is from the movie, but in the book his name is Joe. Instead of saying, I was angry, I was embarrassed, I was sad, the narrator says, I am Jack's complete raging bile duct. The use of a micro motif in this context makes it so much more interesting to a reader. Not only does it emphasize the narrator's emotions and demand the reader's attention, it serves to show the narrator's personality. It's minimalistic, but it remains impactful. It's immersive and wildly fun. It creates a voice and a momentum you cannot ignore as the narrator is plunged into an increasingly insane reality. Chapter 5, Invisible Monsters. My personal favorite of the lot of books I've read so far, the story follows a former model, and that's all I'm going to spoil. Through the book, Palinik recalls what it's like to have a photographer yelling directions at his subject. Give me lust, baby. Flash. Give me malice. Flash. Give me rampant intellectualism as a coping mechanism. Flash. As with previous examples, this micro-motif gives a valuable insight into the main character's feelings and thoughts. 
It's far more entertaining than the narrator saying, I use intellectualism as a coping mechanism. It's especially effective when the lead character is commenting about others. Palinik says a lot in a few words and effectively paints a picture that informs the reader's opinion. And these opinions often mislead the reader, which allows the final few twists of the plot to unravel in a glorious revelry. Chapter 6, The Big Finale Whether or not you want to use the micro-motif that same way that Palinik does, doesn't matter. It can have infinite uses with an equally infinite number of presentations. I'm considering how to include my own versions of micro-motifs in the story I have yet to write. In what ways can I mislead or inform my reader? What would a micro-motif add to my story? Would it be easier to create an unreliable narrator? Specifically useful for minimalist writers, micro-motifs provide a way to say a lot without saying very much at all, which can be a very useful tool. Regardless of how you feel about the addition of micro-motifs to your own stories, it can't be denied that they are a creative and entertaining way to entice and misdirect your reader, to keep a fast pace if you choose to do so, and most importantly of all, be interesting. See also, not boring. See also, a better writer.